Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back. We are back. On Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Marie. It's Nathan Baird. It's Stephen Means. Refreshed, reinvigorated by our first week off on the history of podcasts, basically. So hopefully, we want we will we hope you missed us. We missed you. We hope you missed us. We hope you're not tuning back and be like, oh yeah, those guys, huh? I didn't even notice they were gone. But even if you think that if you're here, we appreciate you being here. We are Nathan, it was like the end, right? I thought like we sort of ended the last season. Our, the last podcast we did a week ago was our Market Down Monday predictions. How did they hit in 2022? And now we are looking ahead to 2023. So welcome, everyone, to the 2023 football season. I think, I don't know if we intended the week off. I basically just had to go on a trip. But I think it's it served as we're done with last season and we're on to next season because we're starting with our first two podcasts now that we're back with depth charge for 2023. Yeah, it's a clean break. I feel like we're kind of like a TV show. Like even these shows that go year round, like uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, like they were just on break. They like take a break for the winter and take off for like a couple months, and then they come back and they're they're ready to go with the new year. So that's what we're here to do as well. Yeah. So actually, I was in I was uh, I was in New York City over the weekend. My wife and I went to a taping of the Stephen Colbert show. So you get a little bit behind the scenes. I asked Stephen Colbert if he needed any tips on how to, you know host a podcast or anything. He didn't want those tips. But um, yeah, I, I think we needed a break. It was funny. We saw uh, people who know Columbus TV. Jared Smalley, the great sports and news anchor from Channel 4 in Columbus, was on the parking shuttle that my wife and I uh, were on on Sunday night when we got back from the airport because he had taken a break because it's like, oh, football's kind of over. And then everybody who covers sports in Columbus is a, is allowed to take a tiny a tiny like just a little you know so he and his wife had gone on a little trip so anyway i thought you were gonna say you saw him at the colbert this, show I no thought, that, that would have been the greatest coincidence of all time <laughs> yeah shuttle, oh i forgot to ask i just realized oh i can't believe i forgot to do this i was all excited to do this 
I wanted to see if this guy listened. I was in New York City. It was a 50th birthday celebration for my college roommate. So a lot of people got together and we went out to dinner at a restaurant. And I had noticed before we went, I forgot to do it. I was so excited. The executive chef of the restaurant is an Ohio State grad and like has Ohio State all over his bio. And I wanted to be like, hey, executive chef, like, do you listen to Buckeye Talk? Can we get a free app? But I forgot to do it. How did I forget to ask for a free app? Oh, if you're an executive chef of a very nice Italian restaurant in New York City and you're listening to this podcast, I was in your restaurant over the weekend and I forgot to say hello. This is what we're doing. I actually researched this so we could do this. We're resetting Nathan's projected depth charts for 2023. But Stephen, this is not just any depth chart. This is the depth chart of the team that in July of 2021, we proclaimed here on this podcast as potentially the greatest team in college football history. So I did go back and we'll do this Tuesday pod is the offense. Wednesday pod will be the defense. Steven, I went back and I listened to that podcast to see, because we made Nathan do it then too. It was like, hey, uh, uh, can you do a depth chart two and a half years out? And he's like, what? So we made him do it, but he did it. And I was listening through there to Steven of what, at that moment, made us think this could be the greatest team in college football history in 2023. And how different is the depth chart we're going to do today? Because people know we did that. We have actually revisited that prediction one other time since July 2021. But we have to be on point with this, Stephen. And one of the questions I want us to answer in the next two days is, do we still think it could be one of the greatest teams in college football history? It was like, no, missed it total whiff by us there because we kind of we were we were out on a limb there steven so much was built around the idea that quinn ewers was a perfectly rated recruit which is hilarious because it seems like the once in a generation perfectly rated recruit is in every single cycle now so what does that even mean anymore yeah. but like i can't everybody can't be perfect guys but that's so much of it has, has to do with that Meanwhile, he's down there at Texas, and we're not even sure if we if a, if that kid's ever going to play in a playoff game or not because we're not sure what's going on at Texas. But I do think some of the other elements, especially offensively, are still intact here. You know, depending on you know, I, we'll review quarterback when we get there. But especially at the skill position spots, I would assume that some of those are the same names and some of the same reasons we had a almost you know. 24 months ago now still exists today. They're very experienced and they're super talented. Now it's about the other spots that we had questions about then. We still have questions about now. Yeah, there are a couple names offensively that their presence on our projection in July of 2021 led us to a certain place that maybe not being on this projection now that we're actually here will affect our view of things. But let's start with quarterback, first of all, Nathan, when we did this, and I'm not going to keep saying it every time, but again, this was the episode, I think is July 7th, 2021. And the idea was how good could this Ohio State team be in 2023? You said Quinn Ewers at quarterback, and you said at that time, we all talked about it and agreed, that the backup quarterback was TBD under the idea of, well, if it's like sit behind CJ Stroud, then the number one recruit in the country is up next. Kyle McCord and Jack Miller are not going to sit around and wait for that. Jack Miller did not sit around and wait after C.J. Stroud won that job. Kyle McCord is still here because Quinn Ewers is not here. But you said at that time, Nathan, we were sort of talking about three guys, and you were like, I think two of the three are going to be gone. Two of the three are gone. 
Ewers and Miller are gone. It's McCord here. So at that time, you said Quinn Ewers as the starter, TBD as the backup. And one of the things I want to talk about now, people obviously know what this battle is going to be. Nathan, how much differently would we view the 2023 Ohio State Buckeyes if Quinn Ewers, either sitting for a year or two years behind C.J. Stroud, because now we're doing alternate histories, either he stays in high school his senior year, and then he's just C.J.'s backup last year, and that's it, or he does come to Ohio State early, backs him up in 21 and 22, and Quinn Ewers was sitting here, ready to take over, but we had not seen much. Because we didn't see the backup quarterbacks much this year. I don't think that would have changed. Would we have a much different view if Quinn Ewers was sitting here compared to a Devin Brown-Kyle McCord battle? Because those are two super highly rated guys as well. By view, you just mean the assumption we're taking? Yes, we wouldn't have a different view. Like you're saying, we would have basically the same view of what those guys are doing at this stage of their careers. But as far as how we'd be looking at this, yeah, I think we probably would. I think maybe everybody who covers this beat would probably be talking about it in a slightly different way. And I don't know. Right now, we look at this as being a legitimate quarterback competition that we're that is unfolding, right? Uh, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown are going to compete to be the starting quarterback. I don't know if we'd be we might be talking about it, taking a more sideways glance at that. I think that TBD turned out to be TDB, right? That Devin Brown, that's who showed up to play here. So I think he would probably still be here maybe. And it would, yeah, it works. It works. <laughs> he would still maybe still be here or someone like him would still be here. Oh, and then, yeah. But would we be talking about work. it more like the Justin Fields competition or even the cj stroud competition by the time that actually got to 2021 i we were definitely talking about it as he's got a big lead someone has to catch up to maybe we even think about common courts slightly in the same way but not quite so I, I i think our view would be very different that it would be kind of like this guy is has already been anointed as the special guy and is is the one who helps elevate this when he hits this fall our view would be different because we've already seen Kyle McCord start a football game and not a lot of, and we didn't really like what we saw while Quinn Ewers would still have the recruiting shine on him in a way that like, like just, I mean, that's part of this is when you don't see a guy and you're just going off his recruiting ranking, the longer we don't see, you still have that shine for at least the first two years of your, your time in college football until we see you actually not live up to it or live up to it. Once we see it a little bit, you start to chip at that shine. And that's part of the thing with Kyle McCord right now is that Akron game throws off so much because he doesn't have 100% shine as a former five-star recruit, the same way that Quinn Ewers would have had had he just shown up normally, been a true freshman this past year, and just would have been waiting on CJ to leave. Is it Keenholz or Kineholz? I can't remember because I was off for a week. What did we Keenholz. say? Keenholz. We had a reference when you and Nathan were talking about on the pod of you think that the backup is TBD. You were like, I don't know. It'll be some guy from Idaho. And it was like close. <laughs> some guy from South Dakota. Yeah. So I thought I was like double checking Lincoln Keenholz. I was like, is he from Idaho? Oh my God. Nathan predicted the future. It's like, oh, close. I do think, and, I, I think though, if Quinn Ewers had stayed, would Devin Brown not be here? Right. So this would be a Quinn Ewers, Kyle McCord battle right now. Yeah. yeah. yeah be, and then the yeah. question would be, would Kyle McCord, would Kyle McCord have stuck around for a battle this spring? with Quinn Ewers or would Kyle McCord have been like, man, now there's like CJ Stroud won that job. Now the number one recruit in the country 
is either in my class or the class behind me. I don't know if I'm going to stick for that. He might have stuck around for it, though, knowing that Kyle McCord and Quinn Ewers could be the guys battling right now, and then the loser for sure would transfer, just like Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow in 2018. So I don't know, Nathan, but I also think, and this is just, maybe it's just me being a dope Buckeye talk. If Quinn Ewers was here and was the number one perfectly rated recruit in the class, I think I'd be like, well, Quinn Ewers is going to be the quarterback. But Kyle McCord is here, and Kyle McCord's a five-star, was he number 19 or whatever? Yeah. And so I'm like, well, then in my head it means that I think there's at least some chance that Devin Brown beats him out. But if but if Kyle McCord was the five-star number one guy, I just think I'd assume – he was the guy. Is that me being a dope? Or do you think there's something to that? No, I think we all would assume that. I think we all would assume okay, that. Okay, I feel I, better. No, thank you for saying that. Good. Oh, okay. By all, I mean like basically everybody who covers this team, I think would, would sort of assume that. But I also, it, there's a lot of dynamics there too. Like, I think you're right. The Common Cord would have certainly competed for the job through 2022. But if Quinn Ewers is the one coming into games earlier or whatever, like there's there's subtle hints that you get along the way, right? So whether he would have still stuck around for this spring, I don't know. That was obviously a lot of stuff that we were talking about back then and how Kyle McCord was really in a tough position there for a while if Quinn Ewers had stuck around because the the, uh, the reward if you win the job is so huge. You're the starting quarterback at Ohio State, but the the risk is maybe you're third on the depth chart. And it was, it was a massive it was a tough situation for him for a little while, but now it's, it's worked out where um, he's the one that's in the driver's seat now going into this spring. Yeah. I think as long as it's still, even if you switch Quinn Ewers for Devin Brown out, if Kyle McCord's last two years still look the way they do, where he's clearly the backup quarterback, then he stays because nothing's changed then. It's just, he's been the backup quarterback and now he has a lead for the job. It's just the natural talent from a recruiting standpoint might be a little bit higher because it's Quinn Ewers instead of Devin Brown, but the lead that Kyle McCord would have built for himself still exists. It's again, these alternate scenarios, you can grind yourself into the ground and we're not going to do it to this extent with every position, but now having watched Quinn, because like you wouldn't have this Quinn Ewers, yep. you wouldn't have the Quinn Ewers who has a year of experience that couldn't exist if he stayed at Ohio State, unless CJ Stroud was abducted by aliens. But we went through the year and he wasn't abducted by aliens. The Quinn Ewers that exist that we have seen, I don't know. I thought when he left, I was like, oh, I don't like this. You just lost the number one recruit in the country. Like I, I, I get it. They have good quarterbacks in this room, but like this is not great. You know, I think the same thing with Dylan Rayola. Like uh, on on a Large level, you trust Ryan Day and the quarterback recruiting and development out of Ohio State. That the Ohio State quarterback, whoever it is, out of whatever competition, they'll always have good recruits, will be good. I think there's a reason, there's absolutely reasons to trust that. But still, Nathan, and we've done it here a million times, when Quinn Ewers leaves, when Dylan Rayola decommits, I think, well, that's not great because those guys are the best of the best. But as we sit here right now, having watched Quinn Ewers in his year as a starter at Texas, you know, some inconsistencies, some footwork issues, some high moments, not great all the time, still viewed as a very good NFL prospect. I don't know that I sit here with the year that Quinn Ewers just had thinking like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe Ohio State lost that guy. And that's not a shot at Quinn Ewers, but if Quinn Ewers was Caleb Williams, if Quinn Ewers... They were both second-year players. 
if Quinn Ewers had had the gear Caleb Williams had, and you were like, okay, well, that's that's the guy he was at Ohio State. And now you'd be like, I can't, oh, right? But he didn't have that, Nathan. So I think it feels like Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, they'll get a good quarterback, they'll be fine. And the departure of Quinn Ewers did not torpedo the Ohio State football program. Quinn Ewers is technically a second-year player, but as we talked about, I now him at the time, his situation yeah. was very different, enrolling earlier, you know, reclassifying. And that's why at the time, and I still feel this way, the Quinn Ewers situation almost just gets put in a glass jar on its own and set on the shelf. Like, that is, I think, very separate than, like, every other quarterback situation that's coming through Ohio State right now, even Dylan Raiola, because that was still a much more conventional, um, a much more conventional recruitment and and commitment. And so far as we know, Dylan Ryle is not trying to show up anywhere a year early. We'll see, but very different situation with, with Quinn Ewers. And it always just seemed weird at the time. And I think even when he left, it didn't seem good, but I felt like, didn't I felt like we talked about that differently than we talk about Ryle because he came here was around Ohio state was already going to be set for this past year with Stroud anyway. So losing him didn't sink them for 2022 and it just felt different. The whole thing just felt different. To contrary, some of the stuff Doug was talking about, because yes, it was a big deal that they lost him because of what he was as a recruit. Can what he is now unintentionally be a recruiting selling point for Ohio State? Because, I mean, he had 15 touchdowns and six interceptions. Now, he missed some games, but even in the games he played, nothing suggested that this dude was on the trajectory to have a 40-touchdown, 4,000-yard passing season, and that's just what we expect from Ohio State starting quarterback. So in this world now where there's Texas, there's Alabama, there's USC, we'll see what Florida starts to do down there. Georgia clearly is starting to get into the quarterback game here where these all these choices of where these top-tier quarterbacks can go when you're trying to differentiate yourself. C.J. Stroud had 40 touchdown passes this year. Uh, Justin Fields, the year that – and you can't say it's, oh, because B. John Robinson was the, the workhorse and the, and the lead guy at that offense because – J.K. Dobbins, the year he was here and ran for 2,000 yards, Justin Fields did 41 touchdown passes and 10 rushing, rushing touchdowns. So he can, you can do both. And so maybe this is, I'll say wouldn't do this because they don't do, they don't necessarily always get into the negative recruiting world, but the proof is kind of in the numbers here of you send your top quarterback to Texas. This is what that happens with it from a number standpoint. You send him here, he's going to flirt with 50 touchdown passes and four, 4,000 yards every year. So it almost it kind of can work in their, to their favor, whether it's with the the next Dylan Raiola. There's a kid named Julian Lewis in the 2026 class who is probably going to be the top quarterback there. He just got an offer. This is something that can work into their favor because, I mean, the from what we see, the the production is is clear. You can't argue with production. So I think that's a good point because Sark Steve Sarkeesian, you know, is is supposed to be one of those guys, right? Is, mm-hmm. is, a, is a, a, an offensive guru. Right. I mean, he's supposed to have that reputation and has had success in the past. So I think that's a very good point. I do think we'll have to see because, as we said, like, is was this his second year in college? Was it his first? It was kind of weird. He did transfer. They threw him in right away that uh, as much as so there was an opportunity. So, yes, the year before Caleb Williams came in and was starting at Oklahoma after Spencer Rattler went south, Quinn Ewers was just trying to find the bathroom in the Woody. Right. So their first years in college were so different that Caleb Williams had a much bigger foundation. But it was and then they both transferred. They both were at a different school and then transferred and then both started at the new school in their second year in college. So that's same a same system fact. though for Caleb. Same system. That's true. Even if that's it's a true. different school. 
Right. It's just Lincoln Riley just put on a different jacket. Right. So yeah. that's so there are similarities, like factual similarities, but obviously, as both of you have pointed out, things that are very dissimilar. That that so I do think we got to see what Quinn Ewers looks like this year. And I do think there's an, I, I'm leaving open the, uh, the still Nathan that in the end there could be like a, Oh wow. That guy got away for Ohio state just because we can't, you know, it's one of those things, it, but anybody watching Texas highlights from Columbus this past season wasn't doing that every weekend. So in the end, I don't think we have to go as deep into Brown and McCord right now, Nathan, because we already did that previous podcast about quarterbacks in the big 10 and where would they rank? We're going to do 400 podcasts on them in the future, but your depth chart for right now, when we did it in July, 2021, it was Quinn Ewers one TBD two. your depth chart right now is Kyle McCord one, Devin Brown two, knowing that there's a battle ahead. Yeah. And really it's just based on Kyle McCord has a head start here. Common Court's going into his third year. Common Court has started a game at the college level. I think that means something. Obviously, Devin Brown wasn't there at the time to get picked to maybe start that game. But but he was the primary backup last year. I think all those things add up right now uh, in Common Court's favor. Devin Brown's the one who has to, as Stephen has used this phrase before, you don't have to just catch Common Court. You've got to pass him up. Um, and the thing that is best for Ohio State's quarterback room long term is also for Common Core to win this job because um, it's, we don't like to talk about transfers and speculating on it usually, but we always have made an exception for quarterback because that's just what this is and the way Ryan Day has done this room. And I did a, at one of my Hey Nathan answer things uh, the other day, and I, I led it with a question because we got several questions about that. And, you know, if, if Common Core wins this job, I think it makes sense for Devin Brown to stick around for another year to be the backup to be one alien abduction away from starting. And uh, if Devin Brown wins a job, Kevin Kamakort's playing somewhere else this fall, I think. And everyone in the world would look at that and say, yeah, that's probably the prudent decision to make there for Kamakort. So the long-term health, if, if Kamakort comes out and wins the job, kind of, you know, emphatically says, hey, I've been working for this for three years. This is my gig. I'm ready to do it. Uh, that's definitely the attitude he's projecting too from the people we've talked to. I think he's, you know, ready to go out and try to win this moment. But Devin Brown is is, you know, making a a real go at this. They seem to have a good relationship and Devin Brown sees an opportunity here to even if you don't win the job, to go out and just keep developing and prove yourself to the guys in that locker room because it could be your job at any given moment no matter how well Common Court's playing. I do think then as as we always talk about this, things happen from weakness, things happen from strength. If there's a version of this that is, and I'm trying to think of more recent, but like the Trevor Lawrence situation, right? Where Kelly Bryant's the established starter at Clemson, Trevor Lawrence is a true freshman. It's like, we can't, I mean, what? We've got to play this guy. And by week three or week four, they're playing that guy. If if Devin Brown wins the job because we we can't keep this guy off the field, You've never seen a quarterback practice like this before. Yep. Like the future be darned. We This guy looks like a Heisman candidate at week one, right? That, and like Kyle was really good. Devin was through the roof. Then all bets are off. Go do your thing. And if you get two years of Devin Brown, superstar, that's a good result as well. But yeah, like it's one of these things, Stephen, right? You stack them and it's like Jenga. It's quarterback Jenga. If you take the guy off the top, the thing doesn't fall over. If you start pulling stuff out of the middle and moving things around, you risk it. So 
you know, I think Nathan's right. Obviously, there's a, like a there's a pecking order here, and then if the guy who's second in the in experience blows the roof off the Woody, so be it. But yeah, I think it doesn't make sense. Kyle McCord keeps things in order. Yeah, I agree with that. I I want every plan, every approach to something has a pro and a con to it. And the con here is, regardless of how you decide to build your quarterback group, it's set up to lose somebody. And I'm wondering how many people this approach is set up to lose every offseason. Because if it's still set up to where you're losing one guy, whether that's because your starter is a second-year guy who is now going off to the NFL like CJ was, or it's because there's a guy who's third who lost in the battle like Jack Miller was, and so he's out the door after two years of trying this. As long as you know you're only losing one guy, whether it's to the portal or to the NFL, you're fine with that. The problem, to your point of the Jenga thing, is when you lose one guy, but then it starts a ripple effect, and now you're losing multiple guys. And that's what happened last year. Now, last year's weird because Quinn Ewers wasn't supposed to be here anyway, but this year is going to be an interesting case study of that because you almost don't want to lose any guys this year. And you do know if you if Kyle McCord loses his battle, he's leaving. While with Devin Brown, if he loses, he might just stick around. And so you have a legitimate shot of having a four quarterback room. But then there's going to be other years where two, it's a three way battle just because of how things worked out, and two of those guys leave. And then what does that mean for your room? So that there's going to be years where there's going to be abundance if things go perfectly. But then there's going to be years where things go perfectly, and you still end up with a two quarterback room heading into the fall. It's the other reason why Ryan Day likes to have four quarterbacks, too. If you can get yep. four scholarship quarterbacks, which they have now with the addition of uh, Tristan Gebbia from uh, Oregon State as a, as a transfer, just happened in the past week, they're going to have four going into this spring. And if you were to lose two, you're still not down to a non-scholarship quarterback behind him like they were in 2019. Or I can't remember if all those any of those backups in 2019 were on scholarship, but they were. Hulk and Chugs yeah. were, but yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's you don't want to yeah. be in that they're trying to avoid that situation. What what's what's the other wrinkle though with McCord Brown is we keep talking about this like the decision guys would have to make, but Brian Day usually drags this out, right? Like they didn't in twenty eighteen because Joe Burrow was far enough into his career that you kind of needed to give him that respect, right? That courtesy to let him think- know at that point. Is is come McCord in the same situation? Like Brown would have to kind of like blow him off the field almost by the end of the spring for you to like make that call. So I'm skeptical that that would happen. I've, I I would still expect this to be something that they haven't announced unless, unless the other thing happens, unless McCord really just torches it. I don't think they like announce a winner of this maybe until their usual timeline, which is middle of August. I think two years into a system where this is just technically your second quarterback battle, I think McCord would ask for some. This would be there needs he'd probably demand a conversation in April after that spring game because that's yeah, that's the key I mean, is like he came in already in a quarterback battle knowing that okay this was he already knew this I'm going to come in immediately being a quarterback battle and if I lose I'm probably going to sit for two years before I get a chance at this again so so far this is still according to one of the two plans that was going to happen for Kyle McCord. After this spring, it's not really a part of the plan if he doesn't win the starting quarterback job. So I do think that it's not extreme to the Joe Burrow point because Burrow was like in year like four or five at that point. But I think two years into a program where you've been through three springs and two quarterback battles is enough for of a reason for a quarterback to be like, yo, what are we doing here? So Burrow and Haskins that spring 
Burrow was entering his fourth season of college and okay. Haskins was entering his third season. So now we have guys, Kyle McCord is entering his third season. Devin Brown is entering his second season. And especially because I think in perception and reality, the older guy was behind in that circumstance. That Burrow was a year older than Haskins, but because he broke his hand, wasn't the guy, wasn't the backup who came in, didn't come into the Michigan game in 17 the way Haskins did. Dwayne was viewed as the leader, so Burrow needed an answer at the end of spring as a guy entering year four. Neither of these guys are old enough, but it is interesting to think about. Like, it's not unreasonable, Nathan. It's not unreasonable for a guy to want an answer, either of them, in entering year three or year two. Right. But I think the legitimate answer, if you're Common Court, and we're completely speculating about this January 23rd, but like the legitimate answer on August or on April 16th, the day after the spring game or whatever, could be you're absolutely in the lead right now, but we're not ready to give you the job. So, I mean, that's a legitimate that's a, answer. It's it's a legitimate yeah, question to ask. Yeah, no, and that could be the legitimate answer. That's why, you know, Ryan Day, every time he's asked about this, he's like, boy, it's, you know, it's it's delicate. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it is. So it becomes a, is that answer good enough to make him stay and continue well, to risk it? I mean, that, that's a, that's a, that's a tough thing to walk away from. Like you're, you are right now the leader to be the starting quarterback legitimately at Ohio State, which may contend for a national championship this fall. Yeah, I mean that's, but also that's Devin, but away. also, but also Devin Brown could like light it up all summer and then come to the fall camp and it's like, oh wait, Devin Brown is awesome. We got to start this kid now. So it's that's it's I'm I'm I think Kyle McCord is in a position where it's not. I wouldn't blame him for wanting an answer, but then once he gets that answer, if that's his answer, is yes, you're in the lead right now. Is that a good enough answer for Kyle McCord to stick around? There would there is a difference. Between somebody entering August as number one and somebody entering as number two or entering August as the battle rages on, who knows, it could be anybody. And I'm trying to think how Jim Harbaugh phrased things because this is – it's at least some similarities, right? But Cade McNamara had been the starter. And I think you were getting – as Jim Harbaugh was at Big Ten Media Days last July, he was not talking about – Cade won JJ two. It was like the battle's on, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, he, he was saying. Point, what was he saying? Nathan? At one point, he said, "Yeah, we have a starting quarterback. It's Cade McNamara." I'm almost sure that's what he said. Didn't he say that at one point? Because I guess people were pushing, people yeah. were pushing him on that. Because I think the idea was the perception was it's back and forth, it's even, it's tied. Because JJ actually, I think, had missed some spring because he had some health issues, and maybe even some early August, and then. I think you're right, Nathan, because it seemed like it was an open battle. And then people pushed Harbaugh enough to get him to say that, and he did say that. So that's different because one guy was a returning starter. But in that situation, the guy who was number two wound up winning the job. And then the number one guy left. So this is just normal, though. I don't want to overcomplicate this. This is what you have when you have more than one quarterback option and the starter left. So... But it's going to be fun. I like spring quarterback battles. Like if you lined up, like name 10 things you like about covering football, but college football, I think spring football quarterback battles would be in my top three. I just think it's fascinating. Haskins Burrow in 2018 was fascinating. But there's something that I wanted to talk about that we didn't. And then there's some things that are far more complicated than quarterback that we just spent half an hour on the easiest thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, there's two good guys. We're going to battle it out. I want to get to the complicated thing and I want to get to the thing I forget. I forgot. Next on Buckeye Talk.
Doug Nathan and Stephen back. You can be a tech subscriber in the offseason. It kind of keeps the juices flowing. 614-350-3315. We have not talked about this because we were off for a week. And this thing was going down a week ago, Nathan, as we were like, well, we have pre-recorded the Monday podcast. Uh, well, that brief moment in time when it seemed like, could CJ Stroud come back? Probably not, probably not, probably not. But maybe, probably not, probably not. But maybe in the end, CJ Stroud, on the day that you had to decide, I mean, he did wait until then. So we don't have to cover a bunch of like, well, what was going on, whatever. The bottom line is, Nathan, what would we be talking What would we be talking about? We can do five minutes on this because it's a thing that had a very small chance of ever happening. But if CJ Stroud had said he was back, are not these guys preseason number one? He's the odds on Heisman favorite. He has a chance to go down as the greatest, one of the greatest players in Ohio State history. All those things were out there and it and it he didn't shut the door on that until the last day to shut the door on it. I think that's the better way to phrase it. I mean, I've talked to people who, and you did too, that that said, hey, like legitimately, like he's given this some thought. Or a, to use a, a, a well an oft-used Buckeye talk phrase, uh, it's given him pause. Um, and I talked to other people who maybe pushed back on that a little bit around it, who said like, well, I don't know how much he seriously considered it. Um, I don't know that he was like, you know, drawing it out for dramatic effect, but he didn't have to. Well, actually, he didn't have to announce anything. But Monday was the day that you had last Monday was the day that you had to put your name in. So um, I think we'd be talking about how he just shocked the college football world. I think we'd be talking about how he kind of upended the NFL draft a little bit because a lot of the narrative around the NFL draft right now is, well, there's three quarterbacks and um, who's going to trade up? And will somebody have to trade up? Can the people who need them like and, you know, it would have been awesome for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears, frankly, if you took one of these three guys out, because now their number one pick overall becomes more valuable. And we'd be talking about, boy, if you thought Paris Johnson got jobbed by just having to play a season of right guard. Well, what just happened to Cal McCord when C.J. Stroud decides to come back uh, when we talk to people? I mean, I talk to people in Atlanta. I talked to Cal McCord. I talked to Devin Brown. You talk to other people around that team. So as recently as the Peach Bowl, and nobody was even whispering at that time that C.J. Stroud, like this was even in the clouds, like that he was maybe going to come back. So um, he'll, I'm sure, tell the full story someday as to when he made the decision. He hasn't told that story yet. But uh, yeah, would have been nuts. It would have been absolutely nuts. I actually sent a text that morning being like, hey, I know you guys probably think you're waking up to a podcast about uh how cj stroud uh, what's going on with all this but hey here's just uh how wrong we were about uh who was going to lead ohio state in tackles last season oh, right but anyway let's talk about still chambers so i mean and, and again this has been covered I, as far as i know i don't think the other i don't think everyone on the beat took the week off just because Buckeye Talk took the week off, that actually would be a good rule. Let's all take a week off together. And you guys were still writing at cleveland.com slash OSU. But obviously, Andrew Luck had a chance to leave more than a decade ago and stayed at Stanford. Justin Herbert could have come out the year before he, he did at Oregon and probably been the first quarterback off the board he stayed. It's not impossible. But the one thing that happened, Stephen, that, and there's been a lot of talk about this, and this is probably an, an NIL podcast for us a little bit later. A lot of Michigan guys have stayed at Michigan. Tommy Eichenberg's of the world, some of those guys, Cade Stover, some guys who have stayed at Ohio State. 
it feels like Michigan was very, very upfront with some of those guys, Cornelius Johnson, a couple of their offensive linemen, that they had an NIL. One of their collectives, I think, was like very specifically like making a push of like, keep these guys here. And that's the thing, Stephen. I think keeping fourth and fifth round or even third rounders in school an extra year is doable. Keeping a first rounder, if it was like, man, is there like, there's like a, if there would be an NIL thing that would have a, because I guess Florida State had it. There's a Florida State uh, defensive end who could have, who people expected mm-hmm. to go pro and be a top 15 pick who stayed. And I think there's some NIL stuff related to this. You know, it's got to be a personal decision first, Stephen. But if there had somehow been NIL influence that would have allowed CJ Stroud to decide to stay at Ohio State another year, that's a whole new world. Because that to me is, is multiple, multiple, multiple millions of dollars to even bring that thought into play. And I was, I just thought, if this happens, we are in a new reality, even though Luck and Herbert did it pre-NIL. And then it turns out it didn't happen. But uh, we're not there yet, Stephen. We're first, you know, top five picks are saying like, you know what? This NIL will let me stay in school for another year because they're going to give me $70 million. Oh, my. $70 million to pick college football for one year is a... Yeah. I'm going to get in the gym. No cap. I mean, I no, need, cap. Yeah, no cap. No <laughs> cap. In both ways. But uh, yeah, for, it's, I uh, accidentally said a cool thing. I accidentally said don't a cool thing. Live. You got to let it live. Nope. Nope. You can't oh, ruin it. I'm going to ruin it by saying you said the cool thing. Yeah, you were good. I, I do wonder how, how, how much of a gap has to be closed there. Because let's just say somebody offered some NIL deal offered CJ Stroud $4 million or $5 million to stay. That doesn't close the gap for a guy who might be the number one pick in the draft when the number one pick makes like $20 million signing bonus. That's just not enough. But if it's a guy like Zach Harrison, who might be a first rounder, but it's number 31, I don't know. Maybe that closes the gap a little bit and go, mm, I can up my draft stock while also not sacrificing the money I would have made anyway. So that's uh, even the Cade Stover, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Stambers is interesting, yes, as late round guys. But I'm more interested in the guys who are borderline first rounders where if I offer you $4 million to stay, you probably would have made that in a camp anyway. So, cool, I'll stay, stick around another year and try to do that type of stuff. That's where it's more interesting for me. But also, if you can do that, then you can't complain that you don't have enough money for the recruits <laughs> because you could just tell that collective, hey, instead of trying to spend that on a quarterback who has done his piece, how about we go spend that money on um, some kid from Florida or some kid from Texas? But but that and that's the not, I'm not saying the school should do that. I'm saying the collective should just think that way. Well, but that's where we are going to have to do some podcasts about NIL because that's one of the things. That's one of the disconnects here in, in the discourse around this um, money that would have kept CJ Stroud here or the first round guy that you're talking about is not collective money. It's coming in from big brands. It's like the 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 deal that last year yeah. was Stroud, Henderson, um, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and. Uh, Denzel Burke, it was like a $550,000 thing with the uh, American Eagle, whatever, like that sort of thing. That's where that money comes from. We're going to hear, um, I'm told, uh, there's going to be, the contracts are still being signed, whatever. Some of the guys who came back did have some NIL deals. I don't know if they were, uh, we have to be careful how we're using these words. I'm using these words kind of colloquially. Like, I don't think those were used as coercion to get them to come back or incentive to get them come back necessarily, but it's always been one of the supposed positives, the alleged positives of NIL when it was being pushed as a, as a solution here that, you know, a guy doesn't have to make a decision between coming back to college and, and making no money. 
and a even late round NFL contract. Like now you have a little something that can bridge that gap. So um, the the collect the thing with like it, uh, we were getting a lot of texts from people who were like, why are we hey why are we talking about even spending money on C.J. Stroud because we have good quarterbacks? Why don't we using that money to get a tackle and, and a cornerback? And I tried to explain to people like, no, this is like it's we're talking about two separate things. And um, we need to do a better job explaining that. So I'm trying to get on some reporting that can maybe better explain that. It is one of those things I do think like bang for the buck. I'll be curious. Some of these big brands, you just, I guess it's no different than any other celebrity endorser, but I don't know. Did, did American Eagle get its money's worth? And that's not a shot. I mean, like CJ Stroud was awesome, but like um, did they sell any extra khakis. I, I don't know. And, and then the other thing too, is you're bang for the buck of you keep a player in school for a year versus let someone who's been developing rise up and you get one extra year of a good player. Cause if he was an exceptional player, he's a first round pick and he's not staying. So it's a good solid player. But if you're a big time program, you always have good solid players. And so like some of it is at some point, there is a cycle to this sport that originally was thrown off by the extra year of COVID. And we saw the impact of that that now might be thrown off or maybe it's thrown off is the wrong word, but the reality Nathan might change of, Oh, I thought I was a backup for two years. I thought in year three, I was going to start. And all of a sudden this guy who was a third team, all American second team, all conference was projected as a third round pick. And I thought he would leave after four years, decided to stay because he had a red shirt year because he got some money to stay. And now all of a sudden, like, is that better? Is that better for the health of the program? Does it make you a better team that year? Because again, like as much as people want to tackle, if you can keep CJ Stroud, you keep CJ Stroud. But the guys that Michigan kept, right? They're good players. I don't know. Is that the difference between Michigan getting back to the playoff next year or not? Or would it just been like, oh no, this other recruit would have started in year three. You know what I mean, Nathan? That we just we have yeah. to all sort of readjust our thing and there's been sort of a life cycle to good college football players that may change yeah i mean i mean but we we saw kind of the the real life example of that with what happened on the offensive line in 2021 and uh, you know to some extent you know paris johnson could have asserted himself and won one of the other jobs i guess i mean that was what they decided was the best configuration there it it, it, it makes things tricky for coaching staffs i guess um but i i also think that it, it, I still think it's going to be rare that I think if CJ Stroud had come back because all those guys that you mentioned before, Justin Herbert, Andrew Luck, go back to when I was you know a, a pup when it, uh, and Steven may not have even been born yet. Uh, uh, Peyton Manning was like, you know, everyone thought he was, I mean, he was the, like the most famous college football player in the country and decided to come back for a, a senior year. And, um, and still got drafted by a terrible team that won three games its first year or whatever. So it's not like, you know, people were speculating, oh, maybe C.J. Stroud doesn't want to be drafted by the Texans. And maybe C.J. Stroud, I think he would have come back, no matter however serious this was, it would have been coming back for reasons that weren't really the money. Because you would have been passing up money either way. So it would have been about other things. And I think that that will end up being the determining factor there. And if, if it, if it creates um, a ripple effect through a roster, uh, I mean, there's always roster competition. Like you still have to go win a job. Okay. That's the quarterback talk. I want to at least have us touch on CJ Stroud. Let's yeah. talk about the offensive line because I'm looking back at like 2023 and we were like, 
They will be the greatest team in college football history. However, they will only play with 10 players on offense because they have no left tackle. And here we are. And we were like, they better solve this. They better solve this. They better solve this. And here we are. They didn't solve it. They didn't solve it. Here, And here's the thing that, again, when you're doing this two seasons out, this was the offensive line that Nathan came up with and we agreed upon in July of 2021, the 2023 starting offensive line. Left tackle, not on the roster. We thought Josh Fryer would be the backup at left tackle, but we were talking a lot about Zach Rice and Emil Wagner, and they've got to get a recruit in here. He's not on the roster. Left guard, Donovan Jackson, correct. Center, Luke Whipler, gone. Right guard, Enoch Vamahe or Ryan Jacoby. Ryan Jacoby then soon after transferred to Pitt. Enoch Vamahe still might be the guy. Right tackle, Dewan Jones. So when we were talking that summer, Nathan, about that, we were talking about very veteran Dewan Jones still right. being here because that was before Dewan Jones then in August won a job. We still thought maybe he'd be a backup in 21, first-year starter in 22, would be here in 23. So, Nathan, we already had a left tackle hole, but we had two veteran starters at center and right tackle who aren't here. And as iffy as that group, not iffy, there was some uncertainty in that group in twenty when we did it two seasons ago. Looking ahead, we knew there was some uncertainty. We're still like, oh, no, best team ever. And here we are, Nathan, and it's more uncertain, right? Because we are, the same questions are there, but we have now taken Whippler and Dewan Jones out of the equation. So just to give people frame of reference, July 7th, 2021, neither Luke Whippler nor Dewan Jones were being projected as starters that fall. So that's why it made it more plausible that they would still be around as starters two years down the line. Um, Harry Miller was supposed to still be yep. the starter for the, the 2021 team. And Nicholas Petit Frey was going to start at right tackle because we thought Paris Johnson was going to left tackle because we thought Thayer Mumford. Well, we knew Thayer Mumford at that point, I guess, was coming back. But um, we still hadn't seen like the full chain reaction. And here we are 18 months later. And to not have a tackle on the roster is both um, or to not have one that they are sh- sure of um, is both somewhat surprising. But at the same time. It's really only one recruiting cycle. You don't usually fix a short-term starting offensive line problem through recruiting, especially left tackle. And people are frustrated by the portal thing, but this is the danger of putting your putting your back against the wall uh, with the portal and thinking that you can just reach into the portal and pull a starter out. And the thing that hasn't happened that I think would maybe surprise us is when this portal stuff started first happening i think we speculated that ohio state would be able to sort of put out the bat signal or the buck signal and guys would see it and be like i'm a pretty good left tackle at well i mean let's use example oregon state where they just got you know tristan gebbia from i'm a pretty good left tackle at oregon state i'm like a third team all pack 12 at Oregon State. I can go to Ohio State for one year and be a starter on a team that could win a national championship. Why would I not do that? I'm going to, you know, I'll get on the next flight. Like that hasn't happened. It happened, I think, a little bit with Trey Sermon. It certainly happened in a, in a way with Justin Fields. So I wouldn't say it's never happened, but it's not happening at these urgent needs in these last two cycles. Like tackle was just as much a 
need last time, last offseason in some ways, you could have found someone who would be around for three years. Um, not someone who would have started right away, obviously, but someone who could have been around long term. And cornerback absolutely was last year. And they made that decision for their own reasons. And it it may be coming back to haunt them. So like to to be this far into it, and we'll talk about cornerback uh, on the next pod, but like to to still be like on such shaky ground at both of those positions, um, tell it just proves that uh, that the, the portal isn't that easy. It's not a a uh, a fix it uh, for every position, um, especially at the standards that Ohio State sets, and um, it's a big issue for this spring. I still would say. If I'm projecting right now, which I did, that I think Ohio State's left tackle is probably on its roster. I don't assume that someone's going to shake out in the spring that would then automatically come in and and take a starting job. So it's probably somebody on this roster right now who starts at left tackle and backs up left tackle on opening day. How big a deal is this, Stephen? That w- the tackle situation right now. Ohio State's offense is turning into a seven-on-seven team. The skill positions are awesome, but within the trenches, it's just it's just not there. And I agree with Nathan, especially now with NIL also becoming a factor. But even outside of that, like you're not going to get the Justin Fields, Trey Sermon level guy every single year you go into the portal. I mean, the secondary has been proof of that with Tanner McAllister and even Jod Carter this year. I mean, that's a quality get, but I don't know if anybody's like, oh, home run transfer portal get when there were former five-star recruits also at defensive back in the portal that you did not get there. So, um, I mean, unless somebody who at some point was like a top 100 recruit and just has not worked out at his place and he he leaves the spring thinking, I need to find a new home, right now I would agree with Nathan that it's probably going to be somebody on this roster and they need some of these guys to grow up fast, whether it's some of these – lower-rated Ohio guys they took a flyer on, or even some of the borderline top 100 recruits who are second-year guys who probably need to start making their way onto the field. Uh, but uh, in the name of portal guys who were former five-star recruits, there is a guy in the portal. I don't know if he's still in the portal, but he was in the portal, Keontae Goodwin, a guy Ohio State was in on a five-star recruit from the 2022 recruiting class. He went into the portal after one year at Kentucky. Uh, to my understanding, that is not a road Ohio State is currently going down. Um, but a lot can change over the next four or five months here if it feels like from a talent standpoint, you don't have it on your roster. But as of right now, that is not something Ohio State's exploring. I'm surprised they didn't get somebody. When you look at the 247 Sports Transfer Tracker, these are their top-rated tackles who were in the portal and where they wound up. You guys don't care what their names are because they're not here. But Oregon... Florida State, Keontae Goodwin, as Stephen mentioned, is third on the list. He has not chosen a destination yet. Auburn, TCU, Oklahoma, Auburn, Miami, SMU, Arizona State, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Tennessee, Florida, USC, Baylor, SMU, Arkansas, Kansas, Buffalo. Those are the top 20 tackles who were in the portal and where they wound up. Just for instance, and this is not saying Ohio State should have gotten this guy because of connection. Miles Hinton was the number 11 tackle in the portal, according to 247 Sports. He left Stanford. He transferred to Michigan. He was a two-year starter at Stanford. At least he started chunks of games in two different years. His brother had played at Michigan, so there's a connection there. I think maybe even his dad played at Michigan. So that's I'm not saying, oh, but that guy's 11th. Okay, oh, well, what's the 11th best 
portal tackle look like? It's like, I don't know, a multi-year starter in the Pac-12? And Michigan got him? Nathan, I'm surprised. I'm perhaps very surprised that Ohio State did not get one of these 20 guys. I almost can't believe it that between NIL, clear opportunity, and the fact that Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are about to be very high NFL draft picks, and Justin Fry, I don't know, we thought Justin Fry had a little something-something. If Greg Studrawa had struck out in the portal like this, we'd be like, that's it, see a stud. I am perhaps supremely surprised that they did not get a potential or perhaps even sure thing starting tackle in the portal this cycle. I think that's the tricky phrasing, though, is were any of these guys, like a Johnny Cornelius, the guy they brought in from Rhode Island, who was a good uh, player at that level, but was having to step up to another level to, to certainly to play anywhere in power five um, or, you know, Jared Kingston who had two, had some good years at Washington state, but wasn't a, you know, amazing player at, at Washington state. Like were those guys for sure guys that you would say you're going to come here and start. Like, I think they could say that to Jonah Jackson in 2019, right? Like you've already been like all big 10. We know what you are. You're all big 10 level. Our defensive linemen are saying this guy's tough to deal with. Like, we want you to come here. We think you're probably a starter already. I, I don't think they were saying that to these tackles. As shaky as Ohio State's situation is, um, I don't think they were either out of fairness or out of just true assessment of those guys' abilities. I don't think they were saying to these portal targets, um, you're definitely going to come here and start. We want you to come here and compete for a job. And if you're I, – I, I did not talk to Jared Kingston from Washington State about this. But if you're him, you're a California native, and, you, and you're getting that message from Ohio State, and maybe it's the same message you're getting from USC, I understand why you go to USC. You know, I, I, I think – that's the other thing I would just I, – I don't know that there was no doubt offensive tackles to be had. I think there were guys who probably would have won the starting job if they had come here, but that may not have been a convincing enough argument to make them come here. And I, I get it from both sides. So give us who are your give us your two deep at both tackle spots right now. So at both tackle spots. So at left tackle, I went with what we know so far. You know, Zimahowski has been developing to win that job, um, to take his best shot at winning that job. And right now, just based on the way the rest of that line looks, that's who I assume is going to probably start on opening day. Um, the backups I put there were, were Grant Tutant and Trey LaRue, who are, you know, veteran sort of, you know, more developmental guys, but they're both in that six, seven, three twenty range. And I thought that made sense uh, more than, than, than stretching somebody else. Um, there's guy, I mean, Tegra Shibola is, has, has size, but has more traditionally projected as a guard, even with that size. So I kept him there for now. But if you told me that he made some kind of move this this spring uh, in summer, I guess I, I would believe it. Uh, and then a right tackle, uh, that's where I put Josh Fryer. I have George Fitzpatrick backing him up there. But really, I mean, um, well, I mean, we can talk about you, This relates to almost every position on the offensive line. Like, you know, we talked, should Donovan Jackson be considered at left tackle? We've talked, you know, already, already about Matt Jones being maybe the likely center to start this year because that makes the most sense based on his background and where, where else they have some depth and guys who could play positions. Like even the two guys who are returning starters in the offensive line may not be returning to those positions, 
because of what the best five person fit is. I think it's interesting that you went with Toussaint LaRue over Montgomery as a second string tackle as a second string left tackle. Um, I, I, I had Montgomery there. I tell you, you guys, I I rewrote that depth chart just on the offensive line about five times. Mm-hmm. I was up. You can go look I at that system. Like, I was up <laughs> late at night making changes to that offensive line depth chart because uh, you could make some bold predictions here. You could make the bold prediction. Luke Montgomery comes in and wins a starting job this, this year, and he starts as a true freshman. I mean, that's not implausible based on how thin they are, especially at tackle, and that maybe – Maybe if he's good enough, maybe that makes sense at right tackle and Josh Fryer kicks inside. And that makes, again, the best five man unit um, uh, better. But this, the, the, where he has to catch up size wise and just how how unlikely it is that a guy comes in first year. I mean, we've seen second year, like no offense at all to Luke Montgomery, but I would say that Harry Miller was probably a better was a better offensive line prospect coming out of high school than Montgomery is. Um, arguably, and he was iffy his second year. You know, Wyatt Davis, we've seen other, Josh Myers, like other five-star big-time guys come in and be like borderline ready that second year. So I wasn't going to put that on Luke Montgomery. I don't dismiss that he could come out and prove it over the next six months. How did Ohio State go from a situation where Paris Johnson could not get on the field at tackle for his first two years to a situation where Steven, if parent, if freshman Paris Johnson was on this roster, I think we would have him penciled in yep. as a starter no right penciled. now. Pinned, printed. He it, loses to, to Brandon Bowen, right? As a true freshman competes for that job, doesn't get it. No, 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 no. And oh, then that was Petit Frere as competing soft, for Brandon Bowen. Who was it? No, that was Petit, Petit Frere. Frere. Was Petit Frere. Yeah, yeah. Paris lost oh, to Brandon Bowen. Petit Frere lost to Brandon yeah. Bowen the year before. But even, right. but even, was, uh, well, even well, not in PF, because right. like, there was a physical transformation he needed to undergo. But Paris, Paris looked ready to go the moment he got here. Really, he looked ready How? to go as a senior in high school. So, yes, he'd be. How? I'm, How did this happen? They had four tackles two years ago. When they played Thayer Munford and Paris Johnson at guard because they had four tackles and they played Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit Frere at tackle. Any of those four guys, they'd be like, oh, sure thing. What else? They went from four to none. This is, I mean, I don't, great. There's guys developing. This is recruiting Zem- malpractice. Zemahalski is a, is going into his third year as a recruit in the 300s who has not played who was a late ad after other misses, who was a developmental guy, who Nathan, you have is has penciled in as the starting left tackle for a team that has Marvin Harrison Jr. on it. And I'm not saying you're wrong. It's who I'd have in there too. It is. I Steven, I, that's a that's a strong word, but I don't think I disagree with it. And then I just I can't believe. They didn't go all hands on deck to get an answer here. Listen, we had, we had recruiting malpractice here. Like, promise, guys, whatever you got to promise. Yeah. I mean, we I, talked I'm about surprised. we talked about this problem two summers ago. Two summers ago. We said, yo, this might be an issue. And typically, a program of Ohio State's caliber, the issue actually ends up getting solved. So this is just us being hyperbolic two years out because we're talking about what's actually in our face. This is worse than we thought it was going to be because at least in those situations, it's like, 
oh, there's no depth, but at least like in a fantasy world, there's a five-star second-year guy who's ready to start. There's no depth, so if he gets hurt, what are they going to do? But at least he's here. They don't even have – there's not a – uh, 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 he played 79 snaps. Uh, uh, Mahoski played 79 snaps last year. He was penciled in as the second-string left tackle. But let's just be honest here. Had he actually gotten hurt, Josh Pryor probably – had Paris gotten hurt, Josh Pryor probably would have come in for him that game. And then they probably would have spent the next week, depending on how serious Paris' injury was, they probably would have moved Juan over the left tackle. Because now they have a whole week to prepare Dewan Jones to be their starting left tackle going forward. So him being the second string left tackle, um, Maholski, don't really mean much because it's just more of a piece of paper than it is actually what they're going to do on game day. This is a lot worse because you have Marvin Harrison Jr. You have a healthy Travion Henderson. You have Emeka Buka, Mayan Williams. But this is not seven on seven. None of this matters if Kyle McCord or Devin Brown has zero time to get any of these people the ball. Yeah, in 2021, the backup left tackle on paper i believe was enoch vamahi like who is a guard like he's a guard he he does a good job (laughs) filling in but he's a guard and you know we've talked before about the uh, concept of like the the plan a versus plan b or farther down the line and it's great when your plan not a adds something extra uh xavier johnson was not plan a to be a guy making huge plays against Notre Dame, catching touchdowns in the national championship game. That wasn't plan A, but they had all their plan A's lined up, except Jackson with the Jigba got hurt, but still a lot of plan A's were in place. And Xavier Johnson got to be a plan F that worked out. Well, like even the guys that we look at, like right now we're looking at this offensive line and someone like Josh Fryer as being like the guy who you can almost count on out of this group, right? Like he's going to start somewhere on this offensive line. We think Josh Fryer also not a plan. A he was like a three-star recruit in the five hundreds. And he's going to hear things like that. Maybe not because he listens to this podcast, but they're already right now reading and hearing that people are, have questioned about this offensive line. We're I'm sure going to hear a lot about this spring and into the preseason about how we doubt them and whatever. And they're using it as motivation. That's fine. But it's just, we judge Ohio State against the Ohio State standard. And what's going to be on the field on opening day on this offensive line right now is not based on the way Ohio State builds its championship teams. It's just not. And uh, that was a big, I mean, we talked about it at the time, that was a big burden kind of that was put on Justin Fry when he got here was now you got 18 months till spring of 2023, or not even that, you got a year. You got a year going into spring of 2023 to take these developmental guys and push them up a level. And we'll find out pretty soon if he did. If Josh Fire was the one guy, right? Okay, well, yeah. yep. they're probably going to – Josh Fire looks like the fifth starter. Yeah. We've seen that a million times. Brandon mm-hmm. Bowen. Right? You just At the moment, Josh Fryer is like their second-and-a-half starter, yeah. right? That's mm-hmm. – but, you know, yeah. Daryl Baldwin, Chase Ferris, Brandon Bowen – Matthew Jones, we've we've all seen those guys. Those are great stories. But Josh Fryer's Josh the third Fryer, best offensive lineman heading into the spring. He is too far up that list, and that is not Josh Fryer's fault. No, but this is the reality of this offensive line. But like what you just said, Matt Jones was a top 100 prospect. Matt Jones was the number one center recruit in his class in 2018 or whatever that was. Now, so that's the kind of guy that used to be the sixth lineman mm-hmm. on this team, the utility guy, and and that's how yeah. much it's gotten jumbled. So it's it's a problem for 2023. They don't take a huge step up based on what's on this roster for 2024 right now. It's kind of kind well, of linger. Montgomery better be a starting tackle in 24. I, yeah, it's but the only right offensive line is the only spot in the day era 
just off the top of my head, that has not had a top 100 recruit that was not from Ohio. Yeah. So so that's why Stud's not here anymore. Yeah. And then Justin Fry came in and in his first recruiting cycle, locked down the three best offensive linemen in the state of Ohio. And that was great. And did not go out and get that guy, which is why they got the guy from Connecticut who had the Dartmouth offer six months before he had an Ohio State offer. Like that guy late because they didn't get an out-of-state guy. And now it's on Justin Fry to go do that. Justin Fry has to do that in this next recruiting class. He has to go get a Marvin Harrison Jr. type of guy. He has to go to Jordan Hancock type of guy, top 100 national recruit who doesn't, whose grandpa or grandma didn't meet at Ohio State. So – Let's let's so we have this the tackles established, which is Josh Fryer, and we don't know much, but let's do this in combo here, Nathan. We've had the conversation. We had a very hearty. It was kind of like you know you get it, you get you do a week of stuff. It's like hey, we did a week of why doesn't Kyle McCord get more snaps as the backup quarterback? We did a week, however long it was ago, of is Donovan Jackson going to be the left tackle on this team? You have him penciled in as a left guard. He was the left guard this past year. He's not the prototypical. Tackle body. He is a five star recruit. Did you ponder it? But also, it's not like they have a four gazillion obvious interior offensive lineman either. <laughs> well, how did you ponder Donovan Jackson here? I pondered it in something that you said in the first segment of this podcast and something that we've brought up a lot, which is the concept of making a choice based on strength or making a choice based on weakness. And Donovan Jackson had a, a solid year last year. It wasn't obviously, you know, all American level or anything like that. And actually, if you go, if you want to go by the PFF grades, his pass rush, uh, or, I'm sorry, his pass blocking grades were not great. Um, it's a different position. You're moving out to where you're more in space. It's a different scenario, but still that, that gave me some pause. Um, but also I think you would be taking a guy who could be a major weapon in your run game and then moving him outside to a position that he's not accustomed to at this level and the ripple effects through the rest of the offensive line. I don't necessarily think make your, I don't know that it makes the whole five person unit better because there's a drop with whoever you're filling in behind him at left guard too. So at the end of the day for this exercise, I projected that they will just decide, Hey, we've got a guy who could be, maybe first team all big 10 or better level at left guard who can get out and really do some things at that position in the run game and is hopefully getting better, I guess, in the past game too. like keep him there. Let him be an anchor on what is otherwise an offensive line where you need to raise a level of some guys. But if he's like the one guy on this offensive line that is of that level right now, and that's the most important position on the offensive line, then maybe you have to think about it because the the if something goes wrong at left guard if something goes really wrong at left guard it usually costs you less than if something goes really wrong at left tackle especially with the first year starting quarterback that is fair because harry miller was the weak link of the 2020 line just because you know second year guy you're struggling Mm -hmm. and the offensive line was fine but also you had a quarterback who ran a 4-3 so i mean that probably helps when you can he can run away from guys I do wonder if that whole Donovan Jackson left tackle conversation because he's not tall but he's got crazy long arms it is kind of a Trent Williams body type um I know people like to throw that name out there with the undersized left tackles I don't I I don't think the Donovan Jackson left tackle conversation is a him conversation it's a what is okay if you're not keeping him at left guard who's your plan 
So you have Tegra Shibola as a second string guard. If Tegra spends the spring and the fall showing he can start at left guard for you because he's taking that jump, then you probably feel more comfortable moving Donovan Jackson outside because the because you you said it the drop off from like right now what Donovan Jackson is even as a guy in the second year who was good not great there's a significant drop off between what he is as a talent and what the guy behind him is if that's no longer true when you get to April and especially not true when we get out there in August for a practice then maybe Donovan Jackson is your left tackle but right now you have to play the best possible guy out of position and as of right now Donovan Jackson is your best chance at having a a good left guard because you're not really sure what you have behind him. It is one of those things, right? They shuffled guys around two years ago because Dewan Jones showed he was one of their five best guys. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, all right, well, if he's one of our five best guys, then what do we have to do to make that fit? If Tegra Shibola, for instance, shows he's one of the five best guys, well, you're not going to put him at tackle. So where do you get my, maybe you end up shuffling some stuff around. It's one of these things, Nathan, there's such uncertainty at tackle. Donovan Jackson is a big-time recruit, but Matthew Jones, who also, as you mentioned, was a big-time recruit, coming back from year six at center, and then you have Enoch Vamahe penciled in at right guard. That also is, I don't know, I mean, like, it's it's across the board. It is not sort of the typical Ohio State offensive line that you anticipate. Yeah, Enoch Vamahe was also a, you know, a, a solid, like, top, like, 150-ish recruit. And I, 150. You know, Mm-hmm. And and but but so there's there's other guys that fall in. I think Ben Crispin was in that similar range, like 125. And Shabola, like I think there's there's a really interesting if they keep everything else the same, if everything else kind of falls how I'm projecting it, and if they move Matt Jones to center, which we think there's a lot of uh, reason for them to do that, then that right guard battle is pretty interesting too, because you've got the veteran guys, and we've seen the veteran guys um, kind of step up in their final year sometimes and, and claim that spot and have one really solid year there. Uh, but we, we, you're also always open to the, a guy like Shibola who, I mean, he's just a huge guy. I mean, what he's like six, six, three thirty, something like that. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued by him. Um, you know, an in-state guy. Um, uh, I, I kind of want to see like what what he is this spring because um, he didn't get a lot of time last year. No, none of the backup offensive linemen really got a lot of time, but he got a little, he got a smattering, and somebody unexpected kind of almost has to step up on this offensive line. Like who? So who is it? Like somebody that maybe we're not thinking of jumps up and surprises us. I mean, we knew about Dewan Jones obviously going into twenty twenty one. He still seemed like a project, and then all of a sudden he wasn't. All of a sudden, it was like, no, Dewan Jones is going to be somewhere on the All Big Ten list at the end of this year, and uh, is going to be putting up, is going to be doing real things. And does somebody else jump up and do that this spring, this this summer? Sometimes it doesn't happen until more like the summer or preseason. That was the case with Jones. We still weren't thinking about him in a serious way. I don't think until the preseason camp rolled around and he had really forced the issue. Is there somebody else? that that happens with. And I don't know if we have that answer by the end of the spring. So we may be in May and June still talking about what's up with this offensive line. If you think a year ago at this time, right, they were losing Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford on the offensive line. They had Dewan Jones, Paris Johnson, and Luke Whipler coming back. And you just think about that. It's like, okay, well, they have two starters replaced. Who's going to replace them? Well, they had Matthew Jones, who had played some the year before as sort of like an injury replacement and had played well, was like the highest PFF grade, a guy on the offensive line, was that sixth guy 
right? It's like, oh, okay, well, Matt Jones is probably going to slide into a starting spot. He seems prepared for that. He's been around a long time. And then you had Donovan Jackson, who they had used as that changer number, offset tight end guy. He's a five-star recruit getting his feet under him. They clearly tried to get him on the field a little bit. And it just was like, oh, all right, well, they have two starters to replace, but like, here are the replacements. The only guy that you would feel about that that way about is Josh Fryer, right? The, of this group of like, oh, who makes sense of who's been prepped for this? Because Josh Fryer was the guy that they put number 41 on him and they used him as a tight end and kind of a little bit extra guy. And then, you know, when they needed someone to play, when Matthew Jones was hurt, Fryer was the best guy. Josh Fryer makes total sense on this offensive line. Again, it's just that he should be number four, number five, and instead he's number three. And that's where the issue is. They usually, Stephen, they usually just have more guys prepped. Whether it's a five-star ready to go, whether it's a veteran that they've clearly tried to work in and had confidence in the year before. And so, I can, Nathan, you said it. I can already hear it. And it's one of these things. It's not about what we say. It's about the reality of the situation. It's not that we're saying your offensive line isn't as good as usual or doesn't have as many highly recruited players or doesn't have as much experience. It's that that's a fact. It's not that someone talked about it. So when they get mad in the spring, oh, people doubting us. We're doubting us because you right now, Stephen, they are not at the standard. They are not, they have not prepared guys the way that Ohio State typically does. It's just the fact. We're open for surprise. Pat Elfline was recruiting the 900s. And when they had to put him in in the Michigan game because Marcus Hall double-birded everybody and they played the Big Ten Championship game, he was ready. And then when you came back the next year, he was ready to go. And that was a lower-rated recruit. So I know people sometimes get frustrated when we talk about recruiting and guys year three and year four, but it's not only about recruiting. With young guys, it still is. With older guys, it's about have they shown that they believe in you? Have they tried to work you in? What have you shown when you got some second team reps? And in in both those ways, Stephen, other than Luke Montgomery as a true freshman, in both those ways, with young, highly related recruits early in their career in the pipeline or veteran guys that have established themselves, maybe the sixth or seventh offensive lineman, they're just short. So don't get mad at the people talking about it. They're short. They knew it. They didn't, we'll get to the one guy because I know Nathan talked to him. They didn't add an obvious answer in the portal. And here we are with a team that has a bunch of five stars and a bunch of other places. And we have real, real, real questions about the offensive line in a way that I, I know like Urban Meyer, when he got here, was talking about like, oh, the offensive line was a mess and we had the meeting and we had to come in. But then it was like Andrew Norwell and Jack Muhort and Corey Lindsay, like all mm-hmm. kind of stepped up into that. And they kind of demanded that of them and they stepped up into it. I feel like even that was less uncertain than this. I don't think I can remember an offensive line as uncertain as this back maybe till the end of the Trestle era when the Jim Bowman recruiting wasn't going great for a while there. This is this is not, Stephen, where Ohio State, even though we know it's not at the heartline Larry Johnson standard of recruiting at receiver and defensive end, right? We know that. Even against sort of the lower standard at offensive line that has existed compared to that, this is short of that. This is not the Ohio State way. It's last on the pecking order, and there's a gap between that and who was second to last, just based off the talent accumulation. 
because as I said earlier, even Donovan Jackson, yeah, he's from, he lived in Texas. That kid's from Ohio, man. That whole his entire family is from Ohio. Whether it's uh, Northeast Ohio, Cleveland area, or Southern Ohio, that's an Ohio kid, and he'll even tell you that because he told me that when he was in high school. <laughs> it's whether it's guys who are prepped to just naturally go into the role or it's a competition. Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic about the competition or the guy naturally getting into the role? Because even in 2020, when we were under the idea that, hmm, maybe Paris Johnson competes with Nicholas Petit Frere for the right tackle job as a true freshman, there's good on either side of that because it's either a top 10 national recruit who was the biggest deal in the world that we're getting him. And we have gone as so far, sometimes a little too far with the, he's the best offensive line recruit since Orlando Pace talk. Cause I mean, Orlando Pace mentors him. So like we were going that far sometimes, or it's going to be the other guy who was a five-star top tackle in his class. Who's finally ready to go. There's optimism on both sides of that battle. There's optimism with the fact that year two Donovan Jackson is ready to go or year two Harry Miller is ready to go as five-star recruits. I mean, you're, we're talking about battles at right guard and, you know, left tackle. Are we, like, optimistic that the winner of that battle is still going to be Ohio State standard? Or is it just, oh, this is the guy who won the job because he just so happened to be better than the other guy? But just because you're the best guy for the job doesn't mean you're the best guy possible that Ohio State could have gotten. And I think that's what we're getting at here with this offensive line, that outside of Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson, the best guy doesn't mean it was the best guy you could have 100% gotten Mm -hmm. had somebody done their job on the recruiting trail or even the transfer portal this year. So, Nathan, let's talk about the guy they did add in the portal that you talked to. He's going to be in the mix, but he's not an obvious immediate answer, right? Correct. Yeah, his name is Vic Cutler. He was the starting left tackle at Louisiana Monroe last year. He had started at center and right tackle uh, prior to that. He told me that he's planning or has been told he's going to come in and compete at center. So that would give him another, you know, experienced veteran presence on the offensive line. You know, as I texted out to our people, um, our, our, our subscribers, as that announcement was made, as, as his uh, commitment came in, um, the pro football focus numbers are bad. Like they're just bad. He had, uh, he was in the forties, I think for his grade, which, you know, it's a scale of one to a hundred. So people, if you're not that familiar, you can extrapolate from that. And some of his better bad grades were against Alabama and Texas last year. He was in like the fifties. And so he's at least been on the field against that level of play. But listen, this, again, we're talking about plan, plan a versus plan, whatever. And it's pretty far down the alphabet that Ohio state would be turning to a former two-star recruit who was not an all-conference player in the Sun Belt to be a solution on the offensive line. That's just the the plain truth of it. Talk I, now. I I said a lot of those things in the text that I sent. Then I talked to the guy the next day, and I was like, "Oh, I feel kind of like a jerk because I <laughs> told everybody that you're <laughs> that you're maybe not that great." Uh, I didn't say suck. that to him. I didn't say that to him, but um, <laughs> that you know, he knows. I think that he's coming here with something to prove, obviously. And it's interesting that he was the one guy that they were able to. But I think this is instructive, and it goes back to what we were talking about before. This is the kind of guy who will leave a starting job and come to Ohio State to compete for a job. Like he'll play, you know, he can probably play on special teams or something, whether he makes, whether he gets a starting job or not. He knows that there's three open positions on the offensive line. 
So those are good odds, I think, to leave the Sun Belt. I think it's Sun Belt, right? To leave Louisiana Monroe as a starter and come up here, a four and eight team, and come up here and compete to be involved in the situation in some way. And he's from Detroit originally, so he, he likes to come back to the Midwest. He's, his parents are excited, all those things. That's the kind of guy it makes sense for. It doesn't necessarily make sense for a guy who is starting at Washington State to move all the way across the country and just compete for a job. You makes more sense for him to go home to California. Those just I'm just trying to be analogous to people who wonder why these things aren't happening for Ohio State at a very specific position. And to to solve a very specific positional need in the portal in a given year is a crapshoot. So before we leave offensive line, Nathan, just real quick again, just recap your projected offensive line starters left to right are who? Yeah, and this could be just as wrong as it was in 2021 when I did it. But I had Zen Mahalski at left tackle. I had Donovan Jackson anchoring there at left guard. Matt Jones moving over to center. Enoch Vamahi at right guard. But I think if Jones moves to center, I think there's a really interesting battle at right guard between maybe who knows how many people. And then Josh Fryer at right tackle. Unless somebody else wins a tackle, and then I think Fryer as a guard maybe makes more sense for him positionally. Um just where what he is, but he may have to be a tackle on this team because of where the team is. And and one of the things that I just in trying to think about it, because again, you don't want to only use your comparison back. And guys very well may prove us wrong. But if you just think about it right now, it's like how many draft picks are on that line? Right? Like, like the, you, and, and how they play is going to determine that. Yeah, but that's like, you know what I mean? Like that's so anyway. This is, I mean, this is like is group number one that we are watching in the spring and we are, everybody is always ready for a surprise, but there's one thing to get a surprise and there's one thing to need a surprise and it's tough to need a surprise. And I think they're at a spot where they kind of need a surprise or a couple or a couple. All right. When we come back, we'll get to the other skill position guys. We'll do it next on Buckeye talk. All right. Let's start at tight end. Here, because this is in July 2021. These are the two guys we had. Tight ends that we projected for 2023 back then, Cade Stover and G. Scott. And so here we are, Nathan. And Cade Stover staying at Ohio State is a pretty darn big deal. But I think we're all interested to see the progression of G. Scott at that position. And there's a part of me that almost thinks like, as we've talked about it, sort of like a Rucker tight end versus a Farrell tight end. I don't know if I even think of them the same way. I like yes, of course, but there's also other parts of it where I, on some level, I almost feel like they're they're different positions, right? And I do sometimes I use those different uh, line in line yeah. des- designations for the the tight ends. But we're going to lump them together as one position. But in July 21, we said Stover and Scott, and is that where we are now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you could put uh, Joe Royer in the mix as the backup, too, I think, at, at tight end. But, but certainly Stover locked in at number one. I'm glad we saved this for the third segment because I look really smart after having all that other stuff wrong. Um, so this will be like the people's closing uh, image of me. It's like, oh, he really nailed that that tight end projection. But we, but even at that time, like we weren't, we were almost thinking of Stover, like, oh, maybe he'll turn into something by then. I won't. I don't think in July of 2021, I was thinking about. Kate Stover, the guy who we thought might actually just leave and go to the NFL this summer because he had had such a good 2022 and had really proved himself in his first year as a starter and became a, a huge part of this offense. And I'm very intrigued by him. I We haven't heard for sure 
like where things stand with him right now health-wise, how soon he gets back on the field. They obviously don't need to push it with him this spring. He knows what he's doing, and physically, otherwise, beyond the the, uh, the back problems, the back spasms he had in the, the playoff game, he's there. So he can kind of ease into the spring and, and do as little as he needs to do to get through there. But there are ways his game needs to improve, and that's why that's maybe what I'm most um, in, eager to see about him is he did some things very very well. There were some other things he did uh, blocking wise that I think he still needs to make another progression in. And so all the things he did as a receiver last year came in the package of someone who still has growth to make at that position. He's even though someone like Ruckert talked throughout his career about how he was incrementally getting better, he was always on that tight end, that straight line through that position. And and Stover bounced around a little bit. It wasn't as natural for him in the beginning. And I think he could still maybe make a jump this year. I think the injury complicates it a little bit, but assuming he can come back relatively quickly and get back to work, he might be even better this year. And I know if that, that might actually mean less receptions, depending depending on how the offense works out. It's hard to really bank on what a tight end's going to do in this offense. But his overall play, I think, could still really make a jump this year, and he could really push himself into um, just an, another level. Even the moments – I can remember when I when I wrote about Cade Stover after the Penn State game, I think it was, and talking to Kevin Wilson, it was like, oh, man, all the stuff he did. And he was like, yeah, well, in the first half, he missed three blocks. And it's like he still had some moments. I think certain things, like, right, there were a couple times when you got him outside and split him out, especially when he's blocking on bubble screens and some of the mm-hmm. out-in-space stuff and getting a right angle on a block and making sure you're not reaching and holding guys. I think he did. Wasn't as good at that when you lined him up at the run game and sort of, like, let him pound guys. Sometimes he really took care of business. And obviously what he did as a pass catcher, this is one of those positions where – they're better off than they were a year ago. Because a year ago, we were like, do they have a tight end? Can they persuade Cade Stover that he's not a linebacker and make him a tight end? And now you have it's the same guy who's much more established. So I do think to see what G. Scott might do, we've been intrigued by that ever since he moved to tight end. 2023 is the time for him to show it, right? He's he's grown into it. He's worked into it. There's an opportunity there for them. But Cade Stover being back is obviously a big deal. I think we all get it. Let's move to receiver. Steven, Nathan, we we were on it. July 2021, <laughs> his three projected starters at receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian Fleming on the outside and Emeka Abuka in the slot. Here we are, Steven, and that's what it's going to be. And it is, I think you can lump Kate Stover into this, like the, the most meaningful pass catchers for this team are all back. And this is a pretty crazy group to think about. Marvin and Emeka have to be here because this is their third year in college. Julian does not have to be here, but I think Julian Fleming still wants to show the best version of Julian Fleming. I'm particularly intrigued by that, Stephen, like what, what we might be expecting from year four. If he can be 100% healthy all year, Julian Fleming, there's still maybe something there that we have not yet seen. Yeah, I, even I think when we were having a discussion in 21, it was, hey, is this dude going to pop and have like a Marshawn Lattimore thing in 2022 where he's just one year and now he's a first rounder? I mean, that would be the room to do it in wide receiver, given how they're doing, guys. That didn't happen. But 
unfortunately, we didn't get Jackson this past year, but fortunately, this trio got an extra year together. They got an extra 13 games, basically 11 because Julian Fleming missed it two weeks, but they got extra time together and now they're going to lean on them because it's a new starting quarterback. Julian's interesting because we've now seen the two sides of when they've got real dudes at all three receiver spots to different levels. Obviously we've seen the offense where all three of them are basically thousand yard receivers because they don't throw to the tight end at all. Like Chris Olave would have had it had he played in the bowl game, obviously. But we've also seen the offense where the tight end is involved. And because of that, it takes away from whoever wide receiver three is. In this situation, Julian Fleming was wide receiver three. So to the point with Cade Stover, does Cade Stover have the same level of production next year? And so because of that, Julian Fleming only has like 35 catches for 400 yards or 350 yards. And that's a good year because it also meant the tight end was involved. Meanwhile, Marvin and Emeka are just a thousand yard guys. We know them to be, or do we see similar to what 21 was where a fully healthy Julian Fleming knowing what his role is having experience. And so now it's like Marvin's got 1400. Emeka's got 1200 and Julian's got like 850. So I think this maybe is an exercise that even if we aren't projecting Ohio State to have the greatest team in college football history that we should do every summer, which is like project the team three seasons out. So we did this in 21. We had not yet seen the 21 or 22 seasons. We were talking about 2023. Maybe this summer we have not yet seen the 23 and 24 seasons and we project out to 2025. Nathan, when something like this happens where you're three for three, is this Nathan Baird, prognosticator, soothsayer, knower of all things or is this brian hartline keeps it tight and it's like we stack them we play them we we keep the conveyor belt moving when it's like oh yeah no marvin emeka julian here we go you know july 2021 you were exactly right yeah i mean despite how obviously brilliant and insightful i am this really is one of those positions where it's just plan a's like all these guys are plan a all the top receiver recruit yeah. in the country uh, for their class or, or highly ranked and they're starting like that's what it's supposed to happen. Like I was thinking about this kind of as we were having that offensive line conversations, like, could you imagine how devastating it would be at Ohio state right now? Or how we'd be talking about it. If like the receiver recruiting looked like the offensive line recruiting, but even then it wouldn't be as much of a catastrophe. Cause even if you just hit on two guys, at least you've still got like two, you know, the Donovan Jackson and the Matt Jones of receivers, and you'd be figuring out a third thing, you'd still be better off than having to come up with three starters on the offensive line from, uh, and, and, and again, at receiver, you, uh, the, the depth is there. Like there are some really intriguing, I went ahead and put, um, who did I put like Xavier Johnson and Jaden Ballard and um, Caleb Brown, I think is the three backups right now at the receiver spots, but Xavier Johnson's more like a, catch all like everything's going to be everything <laughs> and i could i mean there's some guys like that last year's freshman class didn't do a whole lot but didn't really have an opportunity which is kind of how it works at ohio state now you've always got first round draft picks at receiver lined up uh, as your starters so how much do those other guys really get to break through as freshmen and that's going to kind of be true again this year so there's some interesting underbelly that's not the word I'm looking for. This is some interesting lower depth chart stuff that could happen at receiver this year. Like who steps up either from this new true freshman group that's coming in. Um, some of the best candidates for that maybe don't get here till the summer, I suppose. 
Uh, but does somebody show some real growth since last year? But as far as those first three, yeah, no, not that's not me. That's just that's those guys were supposed to be great, and we could easily project that they were going to be great, and that's who would be here in the third year, and it's worked out exactly according to plan. That's the difference between receiver and but, offensive line, and that's why the receivers coach keeps getting promoted, and the offensive line coach isn't here anymore. Steven, week seven, week seven. Ohio State, I don't even know who to play. Ohio State has a big lead. Late in the third quarter, they put in the second team offense in week seven. Mm-hmm. So they're putting in their three backup receivers. What do you think the chances are that Brandon Innes takes the field in that group? Hi. Um, and to be honest with you, of the three, I'll mark it down. Ooh, we are, we're recording this on a Monday too. I will mark this down that when they're playing – that team that they know they're going to beat by 80. And so there, there's going to be an opportunity for the freshmen to play. Um, I would bank that when you see those guys at the bottom of the depth chart, it'd be two freshmen and one of the sophomores. And because it's in the true nature of market down Monday fashion, I will say Noah Rogers at X. I think he's really intriguing. I, I, I think my, Brian Hartline's had a type. I even told him that last summer, and he was like, well, what's my type? And then I told him it's, I mean, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith, the Jigba. And then Marvin, uh, um, Marvin Harrison happened. I think his type is changing, whether it's because of Marvin Harrison. I think Noah Rogers, you got Jeremiah Smith in the 24 class, these bigger kind of freakish X receivers. Um, so I think he's a really intriguing prospect. I think he'll be at X. I think Ennis will be at, um, slot H. And I'll say, I'll put Caleb Brown at Z. But I can hear a case for Kojo just because both of those guys came in last summer and very quickly seemed to pass up the guys who were here in the spring. Those guys would be passing up Ballard. So this is one of these things, Nathan. Like, I don't think he would. I, I, I think Ballard's might sprinkle in there a little bit with the ones next year just because he's year three. I also don't think – I'm saying more like this is like six minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're saying deep guys. I don't think okay. Ballard's okay. – yeah, I think at that point Ballard's too in. Like he's your fifth best receiver next year. I don't think he's too high up on the depth chart to be out there with okay. six minutes left in the game. You're up by seventy. Ballard's almost like a almost maybe a slash, not quite a slash with Julian yeah, Fleming, yeah. but like a lowercase or yeah. Like if they uh, had it's, a, it's, if it's, Fleming, it's, if Fleming got hurt and they had a full week to prepare, I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if Ballard was a starting Z the following week, even with Xavier Johnson. It's interesting. We're like having this interesting conversation of like, ooh, this interest, this interesting conversation with the backup receivers, Nathan. And then it's like, oh, that's the conversation we're having with the starters on offensive line. This yeah. is the whole thing. Yep. Right. That's the thing we're talking about. Like, oh, well, that could be a tricky. What if the freshmen play? Well, they have some softwares. Well, where does the third year, fourth year guy fit in? It's like that's what you that should be a backup conversation. So we'll leave the receivers there. You guys know that Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Booker, and Julian Fleming are going to do their thing in 2023 which will lead us to running back to finish this up and in july 2021 nathan and talking about this we had trayvon henderson as the guy and evan Pryor behind him both expect you know third this was 2023 they'll be third year players in 2023 and then myron williams entered the conversation i was like yeah but that guy was an iowa state commit it's like dismissive of Mayan Williams as I was until Mayan Williams made sure I wasn't dismissive of ran me over and put his shoulder right in my sternum and knocked me backwards and made me uh, make sure that I don't do that anymore. But that's the conversation we had then Nathan Henderson, Pryor Williams. And here we are. And those three guys are still here along with nine other running backs. 
So how did you how did you do this with the depth chart you did right now in this world? What'd you do at running back? So Henderson and Williams obviously are at the top. I, I think they've earned that. And there was a version of this that I did where I almost like anded them. Even though I think Henderson is going to be the starter, I think it is more of a it's you almost call it a two back system. I think, you know, they've both done enough at this level that they've sort of earned that respect. It's on Henderson, I think, still to prove that he to to with his play demand a greater share of those carries. And that could happen. But I just I ended up just doing a more conventional Trevor Henderson starter, Mayan Williams backup. It it gets crowded behind that though very quickly with you know Pryor was doing some things last year before he got hurt Hayden I thought you know asserted himself well when he got that late season uh, opportunities um, was the guy that they turned to in the nat- in the playoff and did all right there for a true freshman um, you know Chip Trainum is now in that mix and he was the guy that they turned to against Michigan and we haven't heard for sure whether he's going to be a running back full-time, I think, or or could still end up at linebacker, but they need the depth at running back. I would argue more than he needed at linebacker with only two spots there and, and several other interesting bodies. So they're pretty deep at running back right now. And it's another position where there's, there's gotta be a battle for like depth chart hierarchy there this spring it, it reminds me a little bit of what we we're talking about a couple of years ago when they were going like six deep there and ended up having some injuries that helped determine where that room was going well and also steel chambers became a linebacker so we'll see uh, but it's those two guys have to be at the top and i think ohio state's in strong position with those guys if they're healthy but that was obviously a big question mark that never really got um, just stayed a question mark through the whole second half of last year. So the I do think the or here is the most interesting part of this because there was a time I, I know here's the thing I was like we've talked about this on this podcast like, we talk about everything on this podcast it's yeah. like one we- time we talked about mashed mashed potatoes versus French fries and I. So we certainly had conversations about Travion Henderson, Heisman candidate. And I don't think I'm going to have those conversations anymore. So there are, you know, these these websites that send out the super early Heisman odds. And Travion Henderson, they sent it out mid-January, was on there at 50 to 1. Devin Brown was 66 to 1. Arch Manning, 75 to 1. Donovan Edwards at Michigan, 80 to 1. So I just think that or will be big enough that I, right now, Stephen, I don't know that I'm thinking of Trevion Henderson as the starting running back for Ohio State in 2023. I think maybe I'm thinking of Trevion Henderson and Mayan Williams as the co-starting running backs in 2023. Maybe Trevion actually starts, but I just think it's not going to be a 2019 J.K. Dobbins year. It's not going to be a 2,000 yard. Just the way things played out this year, obviously, yes, because of injuries, and we need to see what a fully healthy Trevion looks like. But I just think they liked it. And I think maybe it's more about Mayan than it's about Trevion. I think they liked what Mayan did. And I don't think they are going to reduce Mayan's role back to a world that would allow Trevion to run for 2,000 yards, Stephen, which is where I am right now. And again, that is not, 
that is not a lack of belief in Trevion Henderson. It is me trying to react to the way they use Mayan Williams. And I think the way they see those two guys operating as a pair. And then also, I don't know where Evan Pryor fits in right now, because a year ago at this time, we sure were jacked up about Evan Pryor's potential. I think I'd feel that exact same way, even if Travion Henderson hadn't been hurt for most of last year. I think in, in if Mayan Williams had been healthy, I think it had just been those two. I think in some of that is that's how they preached this to Trey when he was in high school of it's not, I, I don't want to call it a two back system, but it is kind of like a two back system where two guys carry the load. Did you, what JK did when he got, he got the ball 300 times. And like, even in that spring, we were, I, I had asked him flat out, if they gave you the ball 300 times, do you think you can handle it? 300, like we talk about 2000 yards, 300 carries for anybody is a lot of carries over a 14 game season is what they ended up having that year. And some of these backs, even these higher rated ones, see the bigger picture. It's why Georgia can keep stacking five star running back on five star running back in Bama the same way. They don't want, I don't know if, I mean, they take it obviously if you give them the ball 300 times, but in bigger picture, it's probably not in Travion Henderson's best interest to have a year where he has the ball 300 times from a health standpoint for the longevity of his career. It's better off him being in a situation like this where it is two guys who just kind of carry the load and they, more importantly, they buy into it in a way that JK wasn't buying into it. So yeah, even if they were healthy, I might feel that way that Neither of these guys are going to get it 300 times. They both might get it 150. And 2,000 yards is just going to be because this dude was averaging eight yards a carry, which is probably not going to happen. But I agree with that. I think Travion probably starts most of the games, but both of them by the end of the season have starter-level snaps and starter-level production Well, in terms of like usage. Georgia is very instructive and interesting in this because Georgia, it, and that makes it's not a two back system at Georgia. It's a three yeah. back system that they use Kenny McIntosh and Dejon Edwards and Kendall Milton. Kendall Milton had 85 carries for Georgia this year, 85 carries in 15 games. That's like not that much. And then you looked up in the playoff and it's like, oh, it's the sixth series in a playoff game, and Kendall Milton's getting the ball. And it's like, no, I mean, but they believed in Kendall Milton just as much as they believed in the other two guys. They just divided it up that way. So Nathan, it still feels like sometimes the way Tony Alford talks about it, it's like, hey, man, give me, if we got to have a workhorse, we'll ride the workhorse. But the idea that not only could it be Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams, could it be Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor, or Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Dallin Hayden. Or, hey, guess what? It's the six theories, and Ohio State and, and Penn State are tied 21-21 in the middle of the third quarter, and Xavier Johnson's getting this series at running back. I don't know, Nathan. I don't know if this, the way things accidentally happened in 2022, or you just look at other teams, you look at what the way Georgia does it, or you just evaluate the guys you have, and it's like, hey, we, as good as Trevion is, he's not Bijan Robinson, he's not a tank. I don't know. I, I think I, I'm very curious to see where they arrive. And again, every conversation we have in this con- in this context is a fully healthy conversation, and then you never have a fully healthy season. But I almost wonder if they might just plan on three dudes, even if they're fully healthy. Maybe. I think it's they've always been open to the concept of playing, I think, multiple guys as long as they deserve to play. One of the reasons why J.K. Dobbins had to carry the ball 300 times was because you had Master Teague behind him, who was fine. He was a good backup. And then 
like they didn't feel like they had another person. There, there was nobody pushing to be a co-starter or to be the one B in in the in that scenario. And Ohio State will have that. They'll have at least that with Henderson and Williams. And it, as we said, it may go um, deeper than that. I, would, I asked Kirby Smart about what they did with running backs, and this is what he said: It's really about health and necessity. Throughout our conference, we've done studies, and very few backs have made it through the entire year with a large burden. They tend to get injured. We try to build it where three or four backs can contribute and play, and some of that's dictated by whether we have leads in the fourth quarter or whether guys are injured, but we don't want to get into this part of the season and not have depth. And I thought it was interesting that he said, we've done studies. Like, it wasn't, it isn't just like a feel thing. Like, they see um, a strategic, like, like the math has to add up and this is what adds up for them. And let's remember, like you bring up JK Dobbins. Well, JK Dobbins was a little bit banged up in the biggest game of the year. Now that may have been a fluke thing. Maybe it isn't a thing that was the wear and tear added up. Maybe it just happened in the, in the Clemson game in 2019, but he was hobbling around when they needed him the most in 2019. And maybe having a second guy of similar caliber, maybe in the a level down, cause it's hard to get someone of caliber of JK Dobbins. But you know what I'm saying? Like a, a second guy might've, might have helped there. So I, I think it's you know, we've had these debate on the pod before about because sort of what J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber went through in 2018 and some of the things we saw in 2020, like uh, does multiple backs work or not? And I think having three cap running backs who are starter caliber and playing them all, I don't necessarily see the downside of that. I think that tends to be a bigger problem for some specific running backs than it is as a general approach. So I just mapped it out. They could do it. They could have a three-back system and throw the ball as much as they do. So 75 plays, that's on average what they run. I said 30 throws. That gets everybody their touches and whatnot in the off. So now you're down to you know 45 plays. 15 for Trey, 15 for Mayan, and then 10 for whether it's Evan Pryor, uh, Dallin Hayden, or uh, Chip Trainum or I don't know. Whoever, I don't know, maybe TC Caffey ends up being the third guy for all we know. But there's your, th- there's your three guys. And then you've got five plays left over that I just said random, which can be an extra throw. It can be a jet sweep to Emeka Ibuka, some bubble screens, because we all know they love those as well, a QB run, whatever it is. But there's your 75 plays where you've got three backs who are legitimately involved while you're also having an offense that likes to chuck it. I want to throw it more than 30 times, but I get what you're saying. So I do too. I but, do you know. think – it's it. Well, well, that's a future pod too. How? <laughs> what did the Georgia game tell you? So I do. I CJ only threw it thirty-four times in Georgia game. The I thought in the end after watching Georgia and preparing like for a month for Georgia, I thought Kenny McIntosh was their second best skill guy behind Brock Bowers. And then there were times where like I'd be like, "Is Kenny McIntosh hurt?" So he's their starting running back. I'd be like, "Is he hurt? Why isn't he in the game? I haven't seen him for a while." And it's like, oh. That's just kind of what they do. He averaged 13 touches a game. I think he carried it 150 times. He caught 43 passes in 15 games. The second best guy, Nathan. I think he's, I thought Kenny McIntosh was excellent. Yeah. And that's, but it's just what they do. And I am unaccustomed to it enough that there'd be times where it's like, oh, okay, here we go. It's Kenny McIntosh times. And it'd be like, oh, Edwards is in the game. And like I said, oh, here comes the Kendall Milton series. And I'd be like, what happened to this guy? And it's just what they do. And I think Kenny McIntosh might be a stud in the NFL. So it doesn't mean that Ryan Day is going to be like, oh, we lost to George. Let's do everything they do. But 
I don't know. And I know that Steven, like ever since they were recruited, the idea of that two back thing, that mm-hmm. they were told that and everything, but it's still, I was like, I don't know. I think Trevion has, might be a Heisman candidate. And Nathan, I just, I don't know. He still just, might though. I think maybe, because I mean, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards both get the ball at Michigan, but if either one, but, was, but, like, but Michigan runs it so yeah. much. Yeah. Michigan runs it like 65% and, of the time in yeah. a way that Ohio state's never going to do. Well, and even that example you're giving Kenny McIntosh, like 43 receptions or whatever you said it was. Like, that's way above what Ohio State was doing with its running backs last season, especially, and even going back to 21 when they were throwing it to Henderson a little bit more. So is that something they would look at, like getting him more involved as a a receiver or any of their running backs more involved as a receiver? I I don't know. They obviously like what they have going vertically on every given play, maybe a little bit more than what Georgia does um, in general, although the Georgia's got good receivers too. So. I just I don't see the downside of it as long as like I said before I think if you were to go back to 2018 I've made this argument before like one of the reasons why that didn't work is because it didn't work for J.K. Dobbins not just because it didn't work for any two running backs or any three running backs because Georgia was already proving that with some of the guys they had the years that they had you know like Nick Chubb and um, and the, the other guys that they had Sony Michelle yeah, Sony Michelle yeah so like they were Todd yeah yep. they were putting like multiple NFL running backs in the same backfield and letting them all eat a little bit you don't get to gorge yourself but you all get to have a nice meal and over the course of the year you've had enough nutrients so i could ohio state do something like that i think so uh, but i also think that it comes down to the evaluations that they're doing of a guy like Evan Pryor and and of a guy like Dallin Hayden, like they, I believe they look at Trevion Henderson and Mayan Williams, and not that they perform um, at A plus level on every snap, but that they are complete backs. They can do everything that needs to be done in the offense. They can they can block enough. They run the ball well enough. They can catch the ball. Are all those other guys completely well rounded? And we may not see Evan Pryor this spring too. I mean, he's just coming off of an ACL injury that happened in the preseason last year. So how much he gets to participate this spring is, is yet to be seen, but how much are those guys? Because that's, that's the kind of the telltale thing for Ohio state. They don't want specialized guys in that backfield. They want guys who can do everything that needs to be done because that's what keeps your offense versatile and unpredictable. I mean, that's going to, that's going to be interesting in itself. Like how many of the running backs are healthy this spring? Cause even a uh, Travion, he's not in that little peg right. leg thing anymore. Right. He's, he's in a normal boot, but like we were talking on the sideline before the uh, Georgia game and it's, he was not 100%, you know, locked into the idea that he's going to be a completely participant yeah, this spring when point. they get into foot, because I mean, he, he'd had a surgery and he had just got out the boot, which. That little peg leg thing is funny to watch a guy walk around in that thing. But if he's he's if he's in a boot right now, they're doing winter workouts. You know, is a month and a half from now is he going to be full go to participate in this spring, or should we just expect to see him? Especially for a guy who's also played enough that we get it. Like I don't know if they need to have him be all in, all out with that in the spring. So maybe we don't see the full Travion Henderson until the fall anyway. And it's one of those things, clearly, obviously, the run game, the running back position was a problem for Mm -hmm. Ohio State in 2022 because of the injuries. When you have your number three guy out before the season starts and then your number one and number two guys are battling injuries for much of the year, it creates a weakness, which then creates a strength. The idea that Dallin Hayden, that we know anything about Dallin Hayden, we shouldn't know anything about him. It'd be like, who's the guy? Who's the other scholarship guy? The true. But it's like, oh, you mean Dallin Hayden? who ran for 100 yards against Maryland, that Dallin Hayden, it's like, yeah, okay. Well, he might be 
fourth or fifth on the pecking order, depending what you think of Trevor Henderson, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor, and Xavier Johnson. And I can't imagine that Chip Tranum stays running back. I think he has to go back to linebacker. Not that there's a ton of opportunity at linebacker either, but I like, yeah. what are you? What? Like, how could he stay at running back? So, but actually, you bring up a a good point as to another reason why they should try to maybe diversify at running back and get a third guy involved. Is they got to keep this room together a little bit because Henderson and Williams are gone after this year, and it goes back to the quarterback thing we were talking about before. Somebody else leaves right now because they see absolutely no role, and now you've got one less guy for when it gets turned over to what is now again maybe a very thin room for 2024. Yeah, we think Travion Henderson's gone. Najee Harris was like the highest rated running back Alabama ever had. He stayed for fourth year, and then he won the Dope Walker Award. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not like I just wouldn't put it past Trey at this point to go. And I would like another year at this. And I, I will say on top of going back again to a discussion we already had on this pod, we keep it, we bring it full circle here on Buckeye Talk quite often. He is doing very well in NIL in things that aren't endorsements yeah. and sponsorships. He's got a like a nice real estate portfolio that he's put together and that he's making income off of and that things like that are now allowable under NIL. So again, it, for someone like him who in a previous generation, not even generation, 10 years ago would have just the background he comes from family need might've had to go get that paycheck. That may not be the situation he's in. If he feels like that extra year could help. What does real estate portfolio mean? Does he own property? Him and yes. G Scott own a, house and i think it's in the wouldn't that be fun let's move into it do they live in the house no no, or do they rent the house they're flipping them they just flip or or sell them yeah let's go put the yeah how much how come on will you guys do it for a year the three of us live in trivion and g scott's flipped house can have them over my wife live in the house too you guys want to change the nope, diaper? Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your wife would be fucked. She does, she's like, get rid of that guy. Oh, no, no. We'll live with the baby. That'll, uh, yeah, because whenever, right, like a sitcom needs a little boost, you bring in a baby. So we'll bring in a baby. Three men and a baby. And conveniently, you already have one. Yeah. It's true. Actually, your wife would probably be totally for that. I'm taking the baby. I'm moving in with Stephen and Doug. You can see the baby whenever you want, but Stephen and Doug will change all the diapers. So, all right. Coming next on Buckeye Talk, we got to we got to talk to our bosses about it. But they're pretty good about this stuff. I feel like that's a rubber stamp. Can we move into Travion and Henderson and G Scott's house? Yes, of course you can. And we'll be broadcasting from there. I would imagine by February. And listen, if you haven't subscribed to the text yet, becoming a text subscriber and adding your three ninety nine a month to the kitty makes this just a little bit more possible that we could that we could do this experiment. Six one four three five zero three three one five. Well, I put we'll put in maintenance requests like every Monday, and it's really not a maintenance yeah. request. We just want to talk to them about what happened on Saturday. No, right, yeah, <laughs> and then Trayvon. It's like, oh, Jerry will bring in Trayvon Henderson for interviews on Tuesday, and we'll be like, Doug Maurice of Cleveland dot com. Trayvon, second floor toilet, I'll yep. stop running. What are you going to do about it? But also, we could for our tech subscribers, we could have a live video feed that would be like real world Buckeye talk. That you could constantly, if you're a Texas subscriber, big you brother? Could, like, click on the link. <laughs> like, yeah, big brother, like constant, watch, watch us constantly on the feed in the house that Trayvon Henderson and G. Scott Jr. own. Okay. I'm glad we hashed it. One of my favorite things is hashing out ideas. On the podcast, we're moving into a house owned by college football players. Tomorrow, we'll be back. We'll do a defensive 
depth chart. What's it look like? We'll compare again to what we thought in July of 2021. We have some other stuff planned for the end of the week. And uh, we'll tell you about that later because we're still getting our feedback under us. But we have multiple ideas. There's some things we we might start like a new thing that we have the Buckeye Retalkables where we, we watch old games. We have the Buckeye Fly Effect where we do what ifs and things that would have changed. We might be starting another new thing like that. That is sort of an evergreen thing. That's a good off-season podcast that is meaningful. If we if we start that, it's not going to be like super old history stuff. It's going to be meaningful stuff in the present day. But we'll keep you posted on that. In the meantime, make sure readingclean.com slash OSU. And of course, try the texts. Good to be back. Thanks for waiting for us. We hope you didn't. I mean, you're allowed to go listen to other podcasts, but we hope you, you came back now that we're back. So for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Talk.